Hello, New Jersey. Welcome to another edition of On the Record. Good morning. It is Monday, January the 13th. Ten years ago this week, Captain Chesley Sully Sullenberger, the pilot of U.S. Air Flight 1549, realized shortly after takeoff that he had a serious problem. He radioed air traffic control. Cactus 1549, turn left heading 270. Uh, this is uh, Cactus 1539, hit birds through lost thrust on both pitches, returning back towards LaGuardia. Okay, uh, you need to return to LaGuardia. Turn left heading up uh, 220. 220. Air traffic controller Patrick Harden radioed LaGuardia to find a runway for the plane to land. Sorry, stop you to park, he's got emergency returning. And then came this exchange between Harden and Sullenberger. Thus began a drama that unfolded over the next few minutes as Sullenberger took his crippled airplane on a glide path just south of the George Washington Bridge. The miracle on the Hudson was about to begin. Record reporter Ricardo Calasar has a story on the anniversary of the emergency landing. I spoke with Ricardo recently. Here's our conversation. Ricardo Calasar, welcome to On the Record. Thank you. Thank you for having me here, John. We're coming up to the anniversary of something known widely as the Miracle on the Hudson. Perhaps, Ricardo, you could explain what happened 10 years ago this coming Tuesday. Sure. On January 15, 2009, U.S. Airways Flight 1549 left LaGuardia Airport a little before 3.30 that afternoon, and it was uh, traveling to Charlotte, North Carolina. What happened was uh, on the way there, within about less than five minutes of the trip, Canada geese, a number of them, flow, flew into the engines of the plane, and that led to an explosion and incapacitated the plane. Uh, the pilots, in particular the main pilot, uh, Chesley Sullenberger, found Also known as Sully Sullenberger. Right? Absolutely. Made the decision that he had to land the plane in the Hudson River because he couldn't get the plane back to LaGuardia Airport and he couldn't uh, make the emergency landing in nearby Teterboro Airport. So they landed in the Hudson. There were 155 passengers. Ferries were in that area because the plane landed in the Hudson uh, in a spot facing on one side the Intrepid, which is around West 15th Street, and on the other side is Port Imperial. So you have the New York waterways, ferries in that area. In that particular time, they were either just starting their afternoon rush hour. So you had one ferry that came in, and soon there were many others, and within minutes. And all the passengers were rescued off the plane. Of course, they survived because of the wonderful job by Sullenberger and his co-pilot, Jeff Skiles. So, but all 155, some suffered some um, injuries that required hospitalization, about 26 or so, but they didn't stay any more than the overnight. And that was pretty much it. I mean, the plane itself, because of the uh, currents in the water, was starting to flow away a bit. So it ended up, um, they eventually was moored at in Battery Park City down in lower Manhattan. 
and then would eventually be brought to New Jersey. And after that, it's now in the Carolinas Aviation Museum in Charlotte, ironically. Really? So it made a destination after all. Really? I did not know that. Yes, it is. I know about that because not only looking it up online, but also because Sullenberger, from what I've been told, will be there for a special anniversary dinner and also one of the ferry captains um, that day. So, yeah, everything worked out. It was a miracle in a number of ways, as always explained to me by one of the other ferry captains that day, because they, I guess you can say, I don't know if the perfect word, but maybe the perfect storm, because you had a situation where landing that plane, they landed in a river that the day before had ice chunks, because it was frigid, it's January. So that was one thing where the ice wasn't there, and if it was, it was not prevalent enough to create a problem. Also, it's told that because it happened, say about a half hour or so before, the actual rush hour were on the river where you had would you have many ferries and different types of boats somehow the river itself at that moment was devoid of a lot of traffic so the plane was able to have a smooth landing which it helps that you know i think people probably had some ideas so try not to sail in there but at the same time however there's no guarantees you'll have ideal conditions of that sort true true and they had some luck in that people who saw it jumped out of their normal roles and became something else. I'm thinking of the ferry boat crews. Yes, exactly. Uh, you've talked to a couple of them. Tell me about uh, what, what, what it was like to talk to them. I just, to me, it, it's, it was fascinating how they didn't see themselves as heroes. They were more like reacting to the situation, that it was their duty. I mean, I think almost all of them, uh, Vincent Lombardi, who was the first, who was the um, captain of the first boat that got there, which is Thomas Jefferson, told me that it was something that he just reacted. It was right in front of him. He had an oath of, of, of he took his oath as a mariner to do that. He had done some, re- you know, he's done some rescues. I mean, there, from what I gather, they had already at that point had already maybe an occasional plane or somebody or boat or something of that nature that they've had experience rescuing in different ways. So it was probably for them not any different, although the situation at hand when you you don't, Lombardi pointed out to me, you don't see a, you know, commercial aircraft of that size landing in the Hudson River. No, of course not. And, and by the way, his name is Vincent Lombardi. Is he any relation to the football? No, coach? he told me he not that he's aware of, but he is a Green Bay Packers fan. <laughs> That's very so, funny. So, yeah, so, yeah, exactly. All the, uh, that, that I think he's heard that so much, but yeah, he's a Packers fan, and I think, to me, that's just what's fascinating, is listening to them, how they went about their approach. I think the one thing, unless you're an actual um, ferry captain or someone who does boating, you know you don't realize the details that sometimes go into it. I couldn't get into everything because there was just so much to write, and I probably could have still been writing this even today. One thing is talked about his approach. Then you're, There's a plane there. And as a ferry boat, you know, you are sailing, you're doing a certain amount of knots or whatever you do, and you can't, you have to be very aware of the fact that your, the force of your boat and the water could disrupt things. So we had to almost like it was a very a delicate balance. Especially when you had passengers balanced on the wing of the aircraft. Exactly. Yeah, that was the thing that he talked about. It was you seeing people like go on a swing that was, you know, submerged. Not all of it, but most of it. And they're trying to make their way, you know, out of the plane is for fear that, you know, they probably could drown. So, you know, it was a delicate balance, and he had, like I said, an experienced crew that was able to, 
either they were and also passing passengers on his ferry. He had a because at that time he was just starting his trip and carrying passengers. So some had volunteered and they threw life jackets. He also I think he told me about a, a kind of ladder that they had. And I know there was a device that they have called a Jason's, Jason's Cradle, which I had to look up. <laughs> I was like, okay, what just, is it? It's a um, it's a kind of netting, but it's solid enough that you know people can hang on to it, and you can be able to pull up people. Is what my understanding was, and all those things they had to um, employ. To now you talked to some pa- uh, some of the plane passengers too. Right? I I wish I was some. I I only really got a hold of one that, and I think he gave me enough details. His name is Dave Sanderson. Dave. It was interesting because, you know, he's now become a public speaker. So he's out there. So you, not, I mean, it probably wasn't hard to find some passengers. It's at that very moment, I thought his story was enough. Um, but he is from North Carolina himself. He does travel. He was traveling a great deal. He was a salesman for Oracle. And he actually would have taken a later flight. He was out, took this flight because he had already finished his work a couple hours earlier. So he said, oh, I just want to go back to my wife and my children. So why don't I just uh, get an earlier flight? He would have been on a 5 o'clock, 5, maybe 5.30 flight. I think it was around 5 um, that afternoon. No Canadian geese at that hour. <laughs> Probably not. Um, in this case, however, he ends up taking, he thought it was a flight that he's taken so many times. And he didn't, you know, didn't, you know, didn't, nothing to worry about. He didn't even, like, he just kind of, like, does his usual routine on the plane and didn't really pay attention. So what was his experience when the plane landed? He was towards the back of the plane, and one of the things he talked to me about was he felt compelled to help others if there was any help, and then he ended up being one of the last passengers in, on the plane. The last person getting off the plane was Sullenberger, obviously, and yeah, so he got out, and when he got out, he realized, you know, that the water was coming in, there was, he was having a hard time, he couldn't get onto a lifeboat, he tried to swim. But eventually, he was extricated out of the water and made his way onto a ferry. Great, and was, great. And was brought. Well, listeners, be sure to watch for Ricardo's story in the record and at NorthJersey.com. So long, folks. Mm-hmm.